This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors has everything you need to keep your ride or die alive. From superchargers, brakes, exhaust kits, and more, 122 million parts, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home the win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome to Pod to Survive on the Ringer F1 show. Episode two with Ryan Hunt, Stadio correspondent, Ringer family member. What's going on, Ryan? Hey, man. How are you? What an honor. I'm great. What's going on in Berlin right now? Um, what is going on in Berlin right now? Spring is arriving finally, starting to heat up a little bit, which is nice. I, uh, today it was is. the first day I went outside without my big winter fleece, which was nice. I bet it's intimidating to try to dress well in Berlin. That's my take. Uh, that's why I don't go out. Yeah. Stay at home, make podcasts. Just, you see it's people, they're all, they're dressed really well mm-hmm. in earth stay in my, tones. Stay in, and it's just stay in like, my comfort not, zone. Yeah, I'm not going to compete with that. I'm scared to compete. Um, so we're doing the second episode of our Drive to Survive recap. We'll have a third one with Ryan Rosillo uh, later this week. Ryan, you're different than the other folks we're going to recap with in that you are a lifelong Formula One fan. And so I'm, I'm curious, as someone who has, I watched it for, I believe, a year and a half before the show came out. Um, mm-hmm. There was a precursor to the show on Amazon called mm. uh, Grand Prix Driver, I think, with, with just McLaren. So I've known a reality show in Formula One since I, since I started watching it, basically. But you were different. You watched the races like a normal F1 fan, like the billions of people who consume it normally outside of America who didn't fall in love with it via reality show. And then you got this, this gift, this access, this insight, whatever you want to call it. How do you process this show as a, as a lifelong F1 fan? Uh, I mean, initially, the first three seasons, I'd say, were super cool because it provided a peek behind the curtain of something that you just have never got a glimpse at before. Right. Uh, it's been really cool to see the explosion of F1 because for years, I, w- I mean, I wouldn't say I was, say, for example, as much of an aficionado or as a specialist, for want of a better term, as I would say that we are with soccer, for example, with Stadio. Right. Although I always say on Stadio, you know, no one knows everything. So, um, but I, you know, yeah, I've been watching F1 since I was a kid, basically. My granddad was and still is a huge F1 fan. And it was basically Sundays, Sundays at his and my, and my grandma's watching, watching races from, I suppose, I think the first race I saw would have been maybe, I was too young to remember it, but it would have probably been around 87, 88, I think. So that's quite a long time ago. But, Who won um, the 1988 Drivers' Championship? 
I let's, think let's, it was, let's, let's it was Senna, here. right? Senna. It looks like it was Senna here. Yeah. Yeah. What an era. It was an amazing era. Yeah. And like, I loved Senna as a kid. Like I adored Senna. And um, yeah, I mean, on a darker note, like I can literally remember the day he died. Like I remember watching it yeah. on TV. It was, super, you know, as a kid, not really being able to process superstar deaths. It was a really strange yeah. thing. It was a, it was a surreal moment. But yeah, so on and off, watched it for a long, long time. There were a few years where I didn't catch it as much. Um, it, yeah. it moved from free to air TV in the UK to mm-hmm. satellite subscription for a while when it went moved to Sky. And um, I lost touch of it a little bit then because there were only some shows or some races on on uh, the BBC or then it moved to Channel 4. But then got back into it when we got Sky and stuff like that. And then, yeah, it, it's, it's really strange because I remember always feeling like you could never really talk about it because everyone just mm-hmm. assumed you were a massive dork if you if you were <laughs> like because i'm not really like a, a petrol head or or whatever i'm not right. a car dude like i you know I've, i can say oh that's a nice car but i'm not like oh yeah man what's like you know what's the engine on that or like you right. know, what's what were those rims that's not really my thing but yeah there's just always been something about f1 i wrote a piece for the ringer about it about how uh, seeing a Senna on board when I was a kid, yeah, it was quite, quite like a similar experience to watching the NBA for the first time in England because mm-hmm. of the 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 way that the pictures looks different. This is a bit of a an off. I'm sorry. Cut, feel free to cut no. this if you need to. But uh, watching the NBA for the first time in the 90s in the UK, it just looked different to how I'd ever seen sports yeah. before. And and it was yeah. the same with with F1. Just like I think I wrote in the piece that it felt like the closest you'd ever been well it was almost like seeing astronauts you know I mean, obviously when you're when you're a, when you're a kid everyone wants to be an astronaut kind of or some kids do so i was just like wow wouldn't it be great to be a formula one driver but uh, as someone who's played the formula yeah. one video game many times i can say i do not want to be a formula one driver oh I'd dude awful are formula we allowed to talk about see this is the great thing about the explosion of formula one like now no one really gives you shit for saying like oh i got f1 2021 instead of fifa 21 and yeah. everyone's just well, like, well, there's oh, yeah, also cool. now yeah. uh, a F1 manager, similar to football manager. I know. There is motorsport <laughs> manager, which has been out for a number of years, which I've played. Um, but this seems to be even more in depth. By the way, 1998 theory you started uh, was literally Senna 1 Pros 2. So that's that's yeah. that's the era. That's the era. Yeah, and we're yeah. getting that again. We're getting a, a 1-2 classic top-heavy F1 grid now. And and that's that's the beautiful thing. I totally agree with, with F1 looking different, feeling different. It's unlike mm-hmm. anything I've ever been around. And this is, you know, my refrain on this stuff is the worst case scenario is it's a travel show. And you're just, oh, look, it's an overhead of Monaco. There's some boats. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I now I want to go to Monaco. Like, I want to yeah. go to all these places except for maybe like Azerbaijan. Didn't really, didn't really get me going. Um, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll put that in, yeah. in a different bucket. Um, all right. So we're going through episodes five through eight on this. And then yes. we're going to uh, have nine and 10 with Rosillo, plus a little bit of season preview. Plus Matthew Summerfield, um, one of the best tech guys anywhere, joins us to break down the cars. By the way, spoiler for Wednesday, he loves Ferrari. Um, we'll start with just big picture takeaways from this. What was your favorite episode of these four? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think it's, Probably this the Yuki Sonoda episode, episode seven. That was amazing. Okay, yeah, that was because... amazing. So let's let's first uh, let me tell you let me tell the listener if you don't know just for a recap. So the fifth episode is staying alive. Uh, Ricardo, it's basically focused on Ricardo at the Italian Grand Prix, and then Williams is number six, 
episode six. Uh, really interesting look at that team, um, that mm. culture. George Russell, we'll get to that. Seven is Yuki Sonoda and Esteban Ocon. <laughs> and eight is Valtteri Botas and the Total Wolf experience and more on George Russell. So Yuki Sonoda was mm-hmm. a rookie last year. Yes. He comes out of the gate firing in this episode. He calls Milton Keynes the most boring place in the world. You've spent some time in Milton Keynes. I don't understand Milton Keynes. I know Milton Keynes is where Deli Alley is from. <laughs> I, apparently, Ian Wright coached there for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he was there for a bit. Everybody yeah. was really mad when a soccer team moved there 20 years ago. I yes. know that much. Is it like a planned suburb? Yeah, it's essentially like a new-ish build satellite town of London. Okay. Which of of which there are many. Um, there are a huge. So why does everyone hate this one? Uh, I don't think everyone does. I think okay. uh, just, I just Yuki Sonoda and th- a well, couple soccer well, fans. Yeah, because basically the Red Bull factory is in Milton Keynes. Basically, um, okay. it's quite easy to get to Silverstone from there. It's not far, and uh, yeah, there just there are just a lot of roundabouts and a lot of kind of like this 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 very British type of shopping center. It's not like it's not quite like a mall. It's like a a suburban shopping center, which has kind of been built in the 90s and it's starting to age a little bit. Yeah, I, I can understand how it's a bit of a culture shock for a very okay. young man. Make who the call, make the call. Is it the most boring place in the world? No, I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. I think Yuki, because, you know, Yuki you can find your, everyone, everyone can find their own little piece of magic in, in any old town. You know? in any, so, that's my thing. No place yeah. is truly terrible unless you like, can't go outside. No, no, no exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's got everything right, you so, need, kind of, you know, and easy access to London. So, <laughs> why wasn't Yuki just going to London all the time? They, yeah, exactly. You take you're, us away one, his oyster pass. You're two stops from London Euston on the 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 main fast uh, train service that goes from London to Manchester, yeah. Piccadilly. Yeah, it's dead, dead easy. This is. Don't know what he's moaning about. He's moaning, he's, he just he just loves moaning, doesn't he? Yuki. Mil- That's what Milton Keynes innocent this here. Total exoneration from Milton Keynes. All right. So, Yuki's driving for Alpha Tauri. Pierre Gasly is a wonderful narrator in this episode because he's extremely blunt about Yuki uh, and how unfiltered he is. At one point, Yuki says, I did a big fart just to, to the group. That was, that was uh, unpredictable. Gasly said that, that, he's, that Yuki is expensive because he shunted a few cars. He has a habit of crashing <laughs> things. There were questions about how, how hard he pushed the car. And then at one point, uh, he told his radio engineer, race engineer, to shut up, and the race engineer said, "Okay, calm down." I will say this: it's a couple that of was takeaways in my notes, I want to get way. to. That was in he my notes. He told his Just race engineer Yuki, to shut up. Calm down, okay? Yuki, calm okay. Down. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was great. <laughs> race engineer, and this is the one thing I've come to appreciate from watching this show: the race engineer who has to radio in bad news or kind of mm. be a therapist in some of these situations. A, it's a terrible, thankless job. Because a lot of times, and this happened with the Williams thing too, where a lot of times you're just radioing like, oh yeah, we're, you know, P- P15. Good race, George. You know, like that kind of thing. Like that, that's tough. But then like you can't, like if Yuki Sonoda of all people is telling you to shut up, I probably would not be like, okay, sounds good, man. Like that's a tough job. Yeah, I, I can imagine it is. I think, especially for someone who loves swearing as much as Yuki Sonoda does. And for someone who say uh, his English is impressive, obviously because being a being Japanese learning in, learning English is extremely difficult. Like learning Japanese is extremely difficult for English native speakers. Mm-hmm. 
but he's mastered the art of almost a borderline extremely British way of swearing, which is just to throw, <laughs> which is just to throw some of the most obscene swear words into one sentence. And yeah, everyone afterwards kind of just wants to squeeze his cheeks, maybe apart from his race engineer. And Franz Tost, who just constantly has his head in his hands and is just like, this kid, this kid. It's so much so that he sends him off to Italy, which I think is one of the funnier aspects of this episode, actually. Yes. So what what kind of takeaways did you come away with from from Yuki's personality having watched this? Well, he's just a young man, isn't he? I think we sometimes forget with sports that these are extremely young people who are breaking through at the start of their careers. And if I was in an extremely high-pressure environment that was being broadcast to billions of people around the world at 21 years old, I would have probably been a complete prick as well. And uh, I think because we're seeing more of it, we're we're a little bit more in tune with their personalities because of the access that we have on TV now and also mm-hmm. the show. But I think there's a really... I think you can tell that there's a serious driver in there. Um... I think he even says in there, but he he likes to, he takes it seriously, but he likes to have fun. And there was an amazing moment last yeah. season. I don't, I'm not sure if you saw it of him and Pierre Gasly playing football or soccer mm-hmm. with each other, but with their helmets on. And right, you know, they just seem to have a real giggle together, which I think is a great uh, it's great chemistry for teammates to do that. But but yeah, from from I think Yuki, he's obviously very fiery. Mm-hmm. And if I'm a little bit, if I'm honest, I'm kind of surprised that there wasn't more pressure on him throughout the season than there was especially if you look right. at what happened to the to some of the drivers that made the switch up to the senior team at Red Bull or even mm-hmm. like Daniel Kvyat when he was back in Alpha Tauri so they obviously rate him extremely highly Christian Horner said he's the most talented Japanese driver in what a decade he said or something like decade, that yeah. so maybe they they understand that this is just well, I mean, the episode was literally called Growing Pains and this is the growing piece of the growing <laughs> pains they're going through to to extract an, an elite driver out of Yuki once he maybe gets a bit bored of the swearing and slagging off absolutely everything. Like the bit when he, when he, when he went off at, I think it was actually in Azerbaijan and he was just like, this fucking car, it's a piece of shit. Like, it's pissed me <laughs> off. I hate it. And the, engine, the engineer's response was just, okay, Yuki. That was it. I was just like, he's going he's gonna to eventually get that out of his system, I think. But yeah, man, I find him entertaining anyway. I, I wish he wasn't so mean to everyone around him, but I think people understand that it's a very much uh, an in-the-cockpit kind of thing. He doesn't seem to be like that much of a dickhead out of the car. Who's the meanest successful driver in the in modern F1 history? In Mopwaf. Wow. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's a really difficult question because obviously the last decade has been so dominated by a few. Right. We put Kimmy in there? No, Kimmy's not mean, I don't no. think. Kimmy's just, no. Actually, he's, he's, the, he's something I'm really, his absence this season is one of the things I'm most gutted about in F1. Uh, I love Kimmy. But I, I would say maybe in terms of champions. Yeah, or close to it. I don't know. I reckon Nico Rosberg's got a mm. bit more to him than people mm. I mean I if guess you, you could, have to go you, through if, all the radio yeah and also if you can grow up with someone like Lewis Hamilton and those two were tight back from karting as kids and your relationship breaks down to a point where I think Nico Rosberg said recently that he still hasn't really ever spoken to Lewis 
since he left. Like they've not had a conversation. He was talking about he was oh, it was when he interviewed Alan Prost for his own like YouTube yeah. podcast or whatever it was, and they were talking about the Senna rivalry. And he was saying, you know, maybe yeah, me and Lewis might get there someday. We're not there yet, but and I was just like, wow, something really went so wrong in that relationship. It's the the Ray Allen Kevin Garnett of Formula One. Um, <laughs> Pierre Gasly, who finished ninth last year, uh, mm. Yuki finished 14th in the driver's uh, standings. He's 26 years old, but I feel like he's gone through so much. And watching him in this episode, it seems like he's almost an elder statesman of the sport. Yeah. And maybe that's a maturity. Maybe that's because he, in F1 years, is, is quite old. Um, but I actually kind of like his role in the show and, frankly, in Formula One. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think he was a little bit, well, I think he was extremely harshly treated by Red Bull when he moved up to the senior team. And I don't think from, I think we got quite a good glimpse of that breakdown during that season. Was it, that would have been season two, right? Of Drive to Survive. I think so, I yeah. It was actually one of the things that I felt a little bit, not bitter, but one of the things I felt quite uncomfortable about through that season was how there doesn't seem to be now I know it's a I know a lot of people saying you know you have to be absolute the, the elite mentality and all of this kind of stuff but as a young guy getting a big opportunity in a big team that's pushing I think you know being being that second driver to max can be super difficult I imagine the same way yes. that a lot you know that people talk about being Lewis's Lewis Hamilton's teammate there isn't Red Bull even harsher because Probably. They have thrown all of their weight behind Max, even in a way mm. that, like, Botas was saying that he was disappointed, and we'll get to this episode, that he never won a world driver's championship, right? Yeah. And I think he would actually have those expectations going into Mercedes. Yeah, for and sure. I think that he obviously was tipped as a guy who was going to compete. You know, everything he did before that, he was shown to be a very, very good driver. Whereas I don't think Checo Perez is ever going in there and saying, you know what, like, I'm actually going to. I'm going to give this a go and finish first. Like, no, 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 no. Like you are, you're going to be Max Verstappen's wingman. That's going to be your job. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think with, with Red Bull, it's as soon as Max emerged, which you yeah. have to forget, I think was, I think happened way ahead of when they imagined, which led to ultimately yes. probably Daniel Ricciardo leaving sooner than he should have done. And which then led to the, the knock-on effect of the Pierre Gasly thing and then Alex Albon coming in and then Alex Albon essentially getting the Pierre Gasly treatment where he had to sit out for a season. Um, so I think it can be tricky when you have someone who has come through the junior ranks and it's almost like, um, I mean like NBA teams tank and they get that one mega draft pick and everything is geared around maximizing the peak years of that player. So if you're a guy who wants to be on an NBA team and be like the guy, mm-hmm. it must be what it's like being drafted as a number one draft pick at the moment, but I don't know, ended up with the Mavs or something, you know, like everything is well, so geared through Magic. Luca. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh. so I imagine that it's a bit, yeah. it's a bit tricky, but I just, I just felt a little bit, and I think maybe this is, this is something that looks like it's apparent in a bit more of um and quite a lot of Christian Horner's management style is that there doesn't seem to be much care or attention for the the mental well-being of drivers who maybe aren't doing so well. Now, maybe we don't see a lot of that, but I think Toto Wolf seems to be from what we see, because obviously we don't actually see that much still 
you know, the the real, I don't know, the real the real action, if you like, or the real insight is not is going to happen away from the Netflix, cam- Netflix cameras. No one's going to come with some real heart-to-heart stuff while the Netflix cameras are in Toto's living room in Monaco with Valtteri Bottas. Well, it's just not going to happen. He will, he will uh, in the Netherlands, arrange for behind-the-trailer meetings with George Russell, which which were obviously engineered for, for Netflix, which we're going to get to in the Williams episode. Um, yeah. Anything else on Yuki Tsunoda, Pierre Gasly, or Esteban? I mean, Esteban Ocon got blown off the screen in this particular episode by Yuki. I almost have no notes on mm. Esteban. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame because I think that Esteban was another one who was a little bit unlucky with how... With, was a little bit unlucky to lose his seat a few years ago before coming back in with Renault. And... Uh, and this was he was what one of only two non Red Bull or Mercedes drivers to win a Grand Prix in 2021 like the other one being Mm -hmm. Daniel Ricciardo and McLaren so his first race win was incredible the the thing that I was a little bit disappointed about if I can have a little bit of a whinge about some stuff in this is that please some of some of the major okay maybe we'll talk about this later but in short this was my least favorite series of Drive to Survive so far oh yeah, it's my least favorite. But and one of the reasons for that is that when they everything just felt a little bit skimmed over. Like for example, the role of Fernando Alonso in Esteban yeah. Ocon's race win at Hungary was huge. Like that battle between him and Lewis Hamilton was one of the best sustained like multiple laps of racing between two opponents that we've had all year. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't it wasn't even mentioned I don't think in the episode at all. I can't I rewatched it back and I couldn't find it. Um, maybe it's in another episode briefly, but there was there wasn't enough Fernando Alonso, I think, in this episode specifically, and and exploring that dynamic between him and Esteban Ocon because they kind of mention it when Esteban's like, oh yeah, he's one of the greatest ever. I watched him when I was nine years old, but actually, how happy Fernando Alonso was and how hard he grafted holding off Lewis Hamilton for that chase in in Hungary, it kind of just gets swept to the side and I thought it was a major actually let alone the action it was a major part of that storyline for, for that specific episode that's my gripe do you think part of it is that they did have to have two episodes on essentially two races yeah and so everything else got condensed and so I was actually intrigued by the by the editorial choices they made in the first eight episodes because there just wasn't a lot of room because they really did. I mean, you could have done the entire 10 episodes on Hamilton versus Verstappen, right? Like that, that, that could have been, you, there, you could have just let, left everything else on the cutting room floor. So that's interesting. Let's get to the Williams episode. Yeah. Jost has some <laughs> real, has some real future MVP of this show potential, uh-huh. in my opinion. Um, uh, the first note I've got on this episode is that Jos Capito reminds me of Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Okay, that's a good one. So he's the new team principal at Williams. He is. Um, he is. He alternates between congratulating everybody on like almost getting into the to to Q two to Q three yeah Q three yeah he was like almost got into Q three um, congratulations to everybody um, and then apparently he's also just like behind the scenes a pretty a pretty firm hand so we might have. And this is a big call. We might have a new kind of Gunther Steiner character in waiting yeah. in the wings in the next couple of years, especially if Williams uh, either falls flat on its face or has some success. We'll see on that one. Um, what else jumped out about this Williams episode? It was just really um, 
this was obviously for for me growing up like williams was iconic that it was those iconic cars of with the camel sponsorship or the labat sponsorship um the people who drove for them you know nigel mansell winning in the williams damon hill winning in the williams the arguments about the technological side through mm-hmm. through the early 90s and then obviously them they get them getting a, a little bit told off that year that Senna mm-hmm. came in, which made the car kind of undrivable. But Frank Williams <laughs> has always been an icon of British racing. And I thought it was really sad in, in a way to see how the modernization of so much sport now, essentially like just where sport meets has kind of like gone along with capitalism, mm-hmm. how the only real route for success was venture capitalists and without any member of the Williams family actually right. being involved anymore. That was a bit of a bit of a downer for me, but I thought they handled it quite well. And it was actually quite nice to see Claire Williams in there and and whether she actually meant it or not, acknowledging that it was the right time for something different. But then also the cool thing about it was that I think in Jos Capito, you have someone who I think deeply respects the legacy of the Williams yes. racing team. And I think think they have absolutely landed on the right guy potentially to drive that rebuild but yeah i think this episode was just more it was quite a nostalgic episode i found and Mm. and just and you saw with george russell like there was a really interesting dynamic when between george russell and uh, nicholas latifi when latifi was having that blind river race and george russell is like I'm not sure if it was in this episode or the or the one or episode eight, but when he says "sacrifice my race yeah. for Nikki's race," because they yeah. knew how much it, how important it was for Williams to start scoring points again and just maximizing that team ethic, and I think that was really cool actually to see someone from from George like like George Russell, who I think is. I think it's. I mean, maybe we can talk about it later or another time, but I think it's going to be interesting to see that dynamic between him and Lewis this year. And actually, when he did that, that was that was a real kind of like, oh, we've seen another another like another dimension to George Russell here because I wouldn't have initially expected that kind of sacrificial race from him at that point, especially when he was well, essentially playing for a drive next this year. Sure, you know? I thought it was interesting to see how different the mentality is yeah. at Williams from even an Alpha Tauri, um, or uh, certainly. A McLaren. Well, let's not even put Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari in that discussion. Although last year you'd have to put Ferrari in the, the McLaren bucket. I didn't realize how important the mentality, just the, either whether that's as you mentioned the point thing, or even just like how they're going to be more aggressive because they know it's it's very boom and bust. It's either you're going to yeah. finish ninth or you're going to finish eighteenth if if the Haas guys crash into each other, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't think that because in American sports, there's almost no seeding of ground for lesser teams, right? Like if the if if the uh, if the Jacksonville Jaguars stink, the mentality coming into that season is still to win the Super Bowl. Um, yeah. There's no there's no middle ground. There's no compromises. No low expectations. Part of that is just kind of the myth of of parity in the NFL. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, but I, I don't. I think that that's that to me was fascinating. Um, I'd also say with Williams, Williams almost reminded me a little bit of and you won't know this, uh, Musa would because he knows college. Uh, but it's like Nebraska football, where okay. it's the name that's absolutely iconic, 
but there almost seems like there's no path to them ever being what they were. And obviously, when, under Frank Williams, they were basically a, a, a private team um, yeah. in a way that that wasn't sustainable. They're they're bought out, as you said, by by venture capitalists. But the the barrier for entry into true F one competition is so unbelievably high. It's in it's probably in the liter, literal billions um, in order yeah. to get to where you needed to, to go, especially with new engines with the new regulations that. They're almost going to be a nostalgia team for the rest of time, right? I mean, we don't know, I think, is the honest answer. I think it's a, the, the great thing about F1 at the moment is that the, the change in regulation, the cost caps, while they were st- the true effects of those won't be known for maybe three or four seasons when it starts to hopefully level out a little bit. Because obviously progress is incremental unless you have a huge era change, like when the turbo hybrid era came in and then it was just right. like... I think a lot of people are maybe overstating the the impact of the cha- the regulation change this year. I don't think, for example, you're going to be seeing Williams on pole every single Grand Prix. They remind me a little bit of, and it's a bit of an extreme example, but a little bit like Nottingham Nottingham Forest in oh. English soccer, who sure. you know, won back-to-back U- European Cups, which is now the Champions League, in the early 80s, and were seen as like one of the the examples of of English football in the early eighties under Brian Clough, and now they're in the second the second tier of of English soccer, and it's going to take a huge amount of finance for them to ever get back to that position. And I think that is less realistic, and it's probably a poor example. It's an extreme example, but one of those like historically big soccer clubs who yeah. fell away just as the money came in, and mm. they've almost it's almost the gap is too far. I think with Williams, because right. you do only have a 10-team sport, right? So, for example, their main goal is just to finish 8th, maybe, or 7th, to get to then get the, money. the constructor's revenue to then build and, and just each year progress higher up. Because we would love, ideally, to have, you know, five, six, seven teams pushing for pushing for the title, pushing for the constructors. It's going to be extremely difficult to get that. But I think that the idealist in me or that maybe the optimist in me is looking at these new regulations and thinking, okay, well, actually, maybe maybe now I see a potential path for Williams Mm -hmm. if everything is optimized. I see more of a potential path than I did do two or three years ago, I think. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So I've been saying, I've been getting some some comments in the Instagram DMs, the Twitter DMs or whatever. A couple people tweeted at me. Because I keep saying that Red Bull won last year. And then these F1 diehards were like, no, 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 you don't understand, new fan. The Constructors' Championship is the Lombardi Trophy. Yeah, and yeah. 
I understand. They're like, that's where the money comes from. I understand yeah. that impulse to say that. And I understand that maybe that was the case at the same uh, at times. But at, in my book, actions speak louder than words. And Red Bull very clearly prioritized the driver's championship. Mercedes very clearly prioritized the driver's championship. And that's been happening for, for a long time. I think that for a team like Williams, being an eighth and getting tens of millions of dollars, whatever it is, is important. But I don't think that Mercedes or Red Bull or Ferrari gets, you know, one of those things, heritage payments or whatever, where they just get money for existing. Um, (laughs) They haven't done a whole lot with that over the past couple of years. I think that that, I think the Constructors' Championship has become overblown. And I'm I'm curious, as someone who's followed the sport for a long time, is that, is that mentality changing? Is that, is that just kind of the Netflixization of the sport where we just prioritize, hey, who's going to win the Drivers' Championship? Can you break that down for me? Because I don't see any evidence that the teams think the Constructors' Championship is a bigger deal. I think within the teams and within the organizations at maybe like board level, they will look yeah. at Constructors' performance over Drivers' Championship performance as the real barometer of where they are. And... I don't think that's ever changed, actually. I think that's... I think, obviously, the Drivers' Championship is the one that gets all the shine. That's the that's the kind of... That's the sexy t- championship, and the, the Constructors' right. Championship is the boring one, if you're going <laughs> to split them like that. So, yeah. I think in terms of where a team's at, and if you think about it, you know, the amount of people that are involved in a Formula 1 team is... I mean, you see how many people are at a Grand Prix weekend but there will be even more people who don't get to even go to a Grand Prix weekend who are just as as an important part of the team as some of the people who sit on the pit wall. So I think for the team as a whole, and obviously for the continuation of the team's existence and its ability to evolve and uh, develop its its car and its team and its organisation, I think obviously the, the, the constructors is hugely important. But ultimately, if you were going to ask someone to name every single Constructors' Championship for the last 25 years who won it, I, I think people would find it far easier to remember the drivers as opposed to the Constructors. So I think for fans, yeah, we, we probably lean more towards the, the Drivers' Championship because the, those are the individual battles that we saw, for example, this se- last season mm-hmm. that we all love. Like we love seeing... Senna and Prost or you know uh, Alonso and Vettel or Raikkonen and Alonso or Vettel and Hamilton or Hamilton and Rosberg like you know we love seeing those battles we're not so hyped about being like oh you know I really hope that I really hope that Alpine really stick it to AlphaTauri this year in the constructors (laughs) everyone's I mean like if there will be probably some people who feel that and that's cool but I don't think that's where the real the real excitement comes from. But from their point of view, obviously it's super important. Yeah. Uh, anything else on this Williams episode before we get to the, uh, the Botas episode? Uh, the paddock walk of shame. The paddock walk of shame. So for those who don't know, so basically the, the lower down the championship you finished this, the year before in the constructors, there's a good enough reason to finish first in the constructors actually. <laughs> the further, maybe that's why, but the, basically the, fur, the further down the pit lane you have to walk to get to your, yeah, your, uh, I don't know what they called, like the expandable mini portable office things that they have on a, on a race weekend. And uh, Jos Capito was just kind of like, I hate this walk. It's like the walk of shame all the time. So I found that bit quite funny. Wow. Um, okay. So let's get to the Botas. Botas and Russell are intertwined in, mm. in this series of episodes. So 
big, big Terry at the beginning of his episode says he's in the best shape of his life. Very, very uh, common athlete cliche says if the races don't go well, it's not because of me uh, really setting himself up for leaving Mercedes and maybe pre-baking in some excuses. He's always been a guy who's been very honest with the Netflix cameras. He understands the marketing part of it. That was something Juliet and I talked about in the first uh, first episode. Some of these guys just really, really understand how to become stars on Netflix. I think Toto made a leap in in, in later in this uh, series, by the way. I think he made a leap from a guy who accepted Netflix to accepted how to be a star at Netflix. But yeah, to- uh, Toto, Terry- Wolf who de- Toto Wolf who, devel- who delivered an ending to the entire series worthy yes. of being in yes. like a Christopher Nolan movie. Yes, that's like, right. And wow, was wearing roll, a black turtle roll neck. Holy shit. Oh my like, God. I was just like, oh my God. Like, also, every, everyone's he, got a target on that. Where did he come from? Where I was know. he? Did he show up like two months after the season Fucking just to give... T- t- yeah, I've turbo, got one line and then I'm going to leave. Turbo Toto is a scary Toto. All right, that'll be on the Wednesday episode. All right, so what did we think of of uh, Botas's performance in this episode? <sighs> I feel like we see a clip of Valtteri Bottas every season of Drive to Survive so far at the beginning being like, yeah, this is my year. Yeah. And I'm like, ah. Oh. And because we always see it after the fact, I don't know if you do this as well, but when I saw that, I was just kind of like, oh no. Yeah. He doesn't I, know. I, 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 I know. Was, I was you know? like that. Well, no, but here's the thing. He knows. He knows. He gets it. He's like thing Musa, Musa always says this on Stadio. It's like, you knew what this was. Like, Valter, you knew what this was. Like, I, you're going against Lewis Hamilton. In fact, I know. in fact, when Toto tells George he has the seat, the way he delivers it is by saying, the bad news is you're going against Lewis Hamilton. The good news yeah. is you have a Mercedes seat. We, you, are, you are all of a sudden, you were, you were accepted in the Mercedes world but with that sentence, you also know that you are a number two. And I don't know if, yeah. if I can't believe that Botas in, in the last year of his contract, not having a deal going forward was actually like, this is it for me. I'm, I'm actually going to crush this year. I don't believe he actually thought that. No, I don't. But I think that if he, if he doesn't think that, then he probably doesn't Right feel like he should be in the sport kind of thing it's like it's like i can't remember who said it i think it might have been toto wolf who said every driver on there thinks they're the best right and i don't think it was well that's that was i think it was i think it was i think it was uh in season one they asked mm. a bunch of drivers if they would win with lewis's car and they were all like absolutely oh yeah 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 of course yeah yeah, yeah. they're obviously we saw that in we saw that the season before last when george russell drove george russell uh in bahrain and he i know by that puncher he would have won his first grand prix um, so going from the back of the grid to the front of the grid in the same car, well, in a different car with the same driver, that is that was quite telling because it's rare that we get to see such a direct example with a driver who is already in the sport with another car. Usually, it's someone else come in. But um, but yeah, this episode, I don't know, man. I think it was there's a certain tragedy to to Valtteri Bottas's Mercedes career, and I think in a weird way it's why Lewis Hamilton so consistently says he's like such a great teammate because ultimately he knows he's not a threat to him. If, if Valtteri Bottas was a legit threat every year for the driver's mm-hmm. championship, I don't think you'd hear Lewis Hamilton say the kind of stuff that he said about him because the year that he, the, well, the few years that he was seriously uh, rivaled for the, for the championship with a teammate with Nico Rosberg, 
it just got progressively worse and worse, their relationship. It just broke down. So I think there's a, yeah, there's a certain tragedy of just having to see another clip in Drive to Survive of Valtteri getting team orders and it just being like, oh, fuck, man, not again. Like, so, um, and, and, and also he's got stock answer now when the media asks, he's like, well, it's not the first time this has happened. Like, yeah. how, how sad is that to be like, well, uh, you know, I've yeah. done this. This is my first just, rodeo, guys. Yeah. So just a typical day at the, the office thing. when something goes bad. And then, but then it cuts to the, it cuts to the thing at Hungary where he just takes out basically everyone. Yeah. And completely just wreaks havoc on the whole Grand Prix. Um, and actually the season, I think that was probably downplayed a little bit about how integral that was to how the season played out that, that race in Hungary because it was just carnage. But yeah, anyway. Two great moments of this episode. Number mm. one, the crash with Russell, which <laughs> I was surprised at how much Botas said the C word. There was yeah. a lot of it. There was yeah. a lot of it in this episode. A very In the same way that... You said Yuki Sonoda knows how to swear like an English person. Botas has picked that up as well. Um, and then the day that they made uh, Botas and Russell address the media at the same time, which was just, I was actually surprised at how unbelievably awkward it was. Like they couldn't even, like if you were put on a, a podium with your yeah. biggest professional rival, which is what, Musa? No, no. See, I'm very much the Valtteri Bottas to Musa's Lewis Hamilton. Like, okay. I know that Musa. Someone Musa you is hate. The, Musa's, I come. I come into every episode being like, you know, I'm in the greatest shape this year. It's not my. Yeah, fault, you're not. But, you're not no, trying to take no. Musa's seat. You're no, the Musa's exception. The best, man. Everybody Musa's, thinks they're the best. No, Musa's the best. I very much just, you know, I'm team orders all the way. That's. Is, yeah, Musa, Musa, Musa delivers the goods that that consistently. Conan Evans comes over the radio and says, "This take is too good, Ryan. You have to back off. You have to back uh, off uh, this particular Chelsea take." Yeah, I think also, you know, if 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 for example, Stadio was a Formula One team and Connor was essentially team principal, yeah, I think I would probably have shunted more cars. I would have been the Yuki Sonoda to Musa's Pierre Gasly. <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> just Connor's just like, calm down, Ryan, please. Please calm down. So, so uh, if if you were put on in a press conference with your professional rival, whoever that may be, I feel like ninety nine percent of people would have been less awkward than those two guys were. Like George didn't want to talk. <laughs> well, it was like Toto like, and Christian in that press conference together as well. Yeah, but they like, knew what to say. They both had it. Yeah. They both had it locked and loaded. They, yeah, yeah, they yeah. didn't want to talk to each other, but they knew exactly what to say. Like that. Yeah. That to me is the most fascinating thing. Where it's like, I, I, I think that it's, it'd be really easy to just write down on a sheet of paper, like, no one knows what's going on. We're just worried about this week. Like, that's one of those things. We always complain about athletes being overtrained for the media. Uh-huh. Like, in this particular situation, these guys were undertrained at just how to handle. The first question was like, <laughs> what's going to happen going forward? And they both short-circuited. It's yeah, like, can't, you guys just, can't. The thing I would have loved to have seen in this is like George Russell reply to the journalist and be like, tell Valtteri that yeah yeah, like one yes, of those kind yeah. Of which is actually what happened with horner and wolf later where it was just exactly. like there's no relationship i'm not gonna put up a facade but those guys at least knew what to say these guys yeah. the, russell and botas were just like uh you first i don't know like come on <laughs> write it down in a notebook we're just worried about this week 2022 is a long way away i can i can work for free and give you guys help on on what to say um that's so awkward i mean what did you think about the crash their crash because we didn't really talk yeah. about their crash so that was the the 
So first of all, it was very funny when, and, and already Botas has said this in public too, but like he, it really did look like Russell was going to come over to check if he was okay. And yeah. if you were, this is another thing where like, if you were considering that Russell wants to be in Mercedes, mm-hmm. the best way to go about it is to kill them with kindness and go up there and be classy and make this, make life easier for Toto when he eventually makes the decision. Don't go up there and say, were you trying to kill us? And but no. Bottas was in the right to freak out on Russell, right? Yeah, I mean, it, I it's such a it's such a weird accident because actually, it was kind of a little bit of not both of their faults, but I thought that they would have been a little bit more understanding in the fact that like that's right. Yeah, Bottas, I, I, I thought Bottas I thought leans that, I thought, out a little bit. I agree, but I think once Russell came over to ignite a feud, I think Botas was in the right to be like, what on earth is going on here? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, I think, yeah, it was, I, I was actually, I remember at the time when that race happened and then they played it back, I was just like, is yeah. George really driving for a Mercedes seat next season? Or because there was and a really pointed Toto thing that Toto throughout, Wolf, yeah, yeah. But they also pointed out some, stuff, right? and he also, Throughout some insane number on how much it was going to cost Mercedes just to kind of needle George a little bit. He said it was like a $400, $400 million accident or something like that. Like, yeah. okay, man, relax. We're going to be, we're <laughs> going to be fine. Um, anything else in this crash that, that, that stood out for, I want to talk about Valtteri a little bit more. Uh, from the crash, not so much. Just, um, yeah. just good to see, good to get to see a lot of Imola in this episode from that, because of that crash. I, what's your favorite F1 track? That's a really tough question. It, it it varies, I think, because some, for example, on the game are really fun to play and have taken on another dimension, by the way, since I got the wheel. I got the wheel and the pedals and it's like, oh, it's a different game. How much, like, so for example, how much, you, like, how much are you getting paid? I got to talk no, to No, no, no. I got, I I got like the basic, no, I got like a basic entry level yeah. with some okay, Christmas no, money and then, you know, one you. of those. No, 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 I got you. It's, I uh, um, I, I actually driving I mean, obviously, we, you know, I'm dealing with football and soccer at the moment. So, like, there's a lot of sports washing stuff going on. <laughs> so, I know that there's, I know there's a lot of that in Formula One as well. But the actual, actually, to drive like in the game, the Saudi track is unbelievable. Oh, and like no. terrifying. Oh, it's wow. terrifying. Like terrifying Canceled to Ryan. actually drive. I know. Sports washed Ryan. I know. I'm, 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 you know, I'm defending all kinds of nation states. No, 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 I'm not. But I'm, <laughs> But Imola is an old favorite, and I think obviously it's a bit. Uh, it holds a bit of a heaviness because of of this of Senna's death and just that weekend in general. Because obviously you had Roland Ratzenberger as well. But as a track, it's 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 just a, one of those proper old school tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, other tracks, I really like. I really just like watching the night races though as well. So like, I really, Ooh. yeah, I really like watching. I, th- I think Marie. Uh, yeah, Singapore is a really... I really like watching Singapore. I'm not sure if it's the best track for racing, but I really like watching it. So I probably have some favorites to watch in terms of a visual aesthetic and then some some that are actually super fun. Right, sure. As, it was two separate questions. You know. I actually like watching Monaco, but it's yeah, me an too. awful race. Yeah, it's always just... Yeah, just... Unless it rains just, halfway through and then it's like, right, let's sure. go. But sure. Yeah. But like, uh, I was actually on my honeymoon the first time... I watched Monaco because I had gotten into it right after Monaco the year before and I was in Mm. South Africa and I woke up really early and I watched this race and I was just like, this is it? Like, this is, it's just, like, I knew they called it a parade, but I didn't know it was an actual parade. But, you you can barely get two cars. And it's water. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's boats and it's water and it's it's great. They don't need to, you know, it's it's fine. Every, everybody, you can get away with it if it's that beautiful. Yeah, I'm definitely. Saying. I mean, that's the thing. There are some, obviously, some really good ones to race in. Like Monza, for example, is really great, but it's not necessarily super great for overtaking because it is pretty much just like right. foot to the floor the whole way around. Um, right. Bar a few corners. But yeah, I'm, I don't know, man. It changes. Do you have a favorite? <sighs> On the game, I actually quite like uh, Spa. Oh, Spa's a good... I, I, yeah, Spa's yeah, amazing. That, that's, yeah. that's my on favorite game, to race on. Um, and it's also great to watch. We didn't get it last year, obviously, for obvious reasons. But, like, it is... It, it's a wonderful track. I mean, when you see the onboards, I like, it sounds like we both watch a lot of onboards. And if you're mm-hmm. new to the sport or anything, just throw in the word onboard, F1 onboard to YouTube and just get a beer and just spend two hours yeah. just watching these things because they're unlike anything you've ever seen. And you get to see... Like, I'm not smart enough to see the difference between if I closed my eyes and you showed me Hamilton on board, you know, obviously if you got the, the library away and all that stuff, like it, you see the talent of like even Esteban Ocon when you're watching these yeah. onboards and they, it, it look like everybody else is on boards. Like the, the, you know, the fact that they never go wide, the fact that they, I, it's just unbelievable the depth that these, that these racers have, um, or that, that they exist in formula one with, with where the mm-hmm. 18th best, everybody with Mazepin, basically their onboards <laughs> just show you that the, the talent that they have. So let's get, talk about Botas's career for a second. So he mm-hmm. comes into Mercedes in 2017 Mm-hmm. And from there, he goes third, fifth, second, second, third. And obviously, wins the Constructors' Championship, um, including last year. Is that a disappointment for his career at Mercedes? I think so, yeah. I think so. To not win a Drivers' Championship? Not necessarily that he didn't win one, but I think that he didn't consistently push. You know? I right. think there, there was, was never what, there even was... a year. There was never a year where it looked like this might be the year. There was one year when early on he looked like he could actually right. do it or at least mount a charge. 2019, he had 326 points. Yeah, it might have been 2019 that he he was leading in the early part of the season and a lot of people were just right. like, mm, hello. Well, I mean, that was but, similar. I mean, Vettel, Vettel had that a few years ago and everybody was like, oh, okay. Like, it was a little bit of a half-hearted thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, I think if you... I mean, I know it was his first year in the car last season. But you look how Checo Perez did last season, for example. Right. And I know he finished fourth in this championship, but considering it was his first year in a new car and he had a couple of bits of bad luck with retirements and from, well, he had that one in Hungary where he just got taken out mm-hmm. um, and also again in Saudi. And was it in Belgium? No, not Belgium because of the rain that got rained off. The it might have been... It might have been, I can't remember. I think he had a problem at Imola. But I think overall you saw actually, wow, considering this is this, you saw how difficult it was for a lot of the drivers. That was a bit of an ongoing theme throughout the season on Drive to Survive, how drivers in new cars were kind of struggling to get to grips with a lot of it. It took him a little bit of a while. Like Danny Ricciardo said that thing about having to almost relearn how to drive or relearn his driving style because of how different the McLaren was. So I think, think for example, like Perez, even though he did finish fourth, I thought he was prob- that was that was actually really encouraging for Red Bull, and it wouldn't surprise me if if the gap if if Perez closes the gap on Verstappen this season, like in terms of at the end of the season, there's they're, they're way closer together. 
than they were last season. I think with Bottas is that it was just a bit of inconsistency. And you've seen that in every single season of Drive to Survive. There's been cuts to Toto or a couple of other members of the uh, Mercedes team who are just a bit like, why is why is Valtteri like 12th? There's actually no reason for him to be in 12th, you know? And you can see clearly like that that's that statement that he made about like, oh, if he doesn't do it this year, then it's because of the car. We clearly saw that the car was fine. Like even all the noise after testing at the beginning of the season was was kind of bullshit because what they got a, a they finished him and Hamilton finished what's the first and third. Lewis yeah. won, but Valtteri came third in Bahrain after all of that talk yeah. about Mercedes going to, how much they were going to struggle. There's all the thing about sandbagging and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, I think overall, I think he's been a good driver for the team. You can't argue with that because he's obviously contributed hugely to the, um, you know, the consistent winning of the Constructors' Championship. But I think from an individual point of view, I think he will probably look back over those few years at Mercedes and feel like he maybe didn't fully maximize the car he had. Sure. Definitely in one or two I understand seasons. that. I understand that. And, and, and also, there's a certain expectation, not to, not to go back to college football again, but I remember somebody saying this when Ed Ogeron got fired at the coach at LSU, and they were just like, listen, there's a floor here that you can't go under when you're at LSU. And with Mercedes, you mentioned Belgium. Where George Russell, I know there's there's the rain coming down and it was only a half points race and it was the whole thing was mm. a charade. But at the end of the day, George Russell was second in qualifying and and Botas was eighth. Like you can't yeah. make mistakes in in a Mercedes. Like you can't. You have like to 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 what much is given, much is uh, is is expected, right? And yeah. you just there's a certain. Even if things are bad, you can't be outside the top 10, which he was, I think, three times last year, um, two, twice the year before. Um, you just That's just not allowed unless there's a, a real big circumstance. So I, yeah. I can see why that would be that. Um, I agree he probably should have pushed at one point for a World Drivers' Championship, but I also think that Lewis Hamilton was just in the middle of, a, of an incredible run and uh, there yeah, wasn't much and he, he was going to be able to do. And, and despite the car that he's had, and maybe, yeah, the car has been better than the rest of the grid for a long time, but if you stuck Lewis Hamilton in a Red Bull over the last few years, he would have consistently pushed for the Drivers' Championship. That's just a fact, I think, because he is that good. I mean, it's the thing about Lewis, I think, is that he's matured as a driver to the point where, like where Max is, and a lot of people are giving Max a lot of shit for being a little bit maybe too reckless or going for gaps that maybe aren't there. Lewis was kind of similar to that in his early career. Like he had a few scrapes with like Felipe Massa and... I think it was obviously a different element to Lewis's career because being the first non-white driver or first mm-hmm. black driver, sorry, in Formula One was, I think, such a different challenge that none of us will ever be able to understand. And I think that that did lead to slightly different treatment from from a number of people in certain scenarios when they maybe wouldn't have done that with other drivers. However, you know, he was still maturing in front of everyone. And like we were talking about UK Sonoda earlier and he, Lewis Hamilton did the same thing. The Lewis Hamilton of now, he, he didn't always have that mentality. So I feel like the thing about Lewis that we've seen in the last few years, for example, the mistake at Azerbaijan last year at Baku, 
it was so seismic because it is so rare that you see Lewis Hamilton make a mistake that big in a right. high pressure scenario. Whereas with Valtteri Bottas, it wasn't so surprising. And yeah, he did have a little bit of bad luck as well, like punctures here and there. But I think that's the main difference is that Lewis is kind of, it's very much like a professional soccer player who gets into their deep 30s and they just, they simplify their game a little bit in order to maximise the skills that they still have left. I think Lewis has done that so well. Um, just minimising mistakes probably better than anyone else on the grid. And that, Is it yeah, Pirlo that's, type? That's a lovely shout. Yeah, that's a lovely shout. Yeah, oh, wow. Just, Lewis does, Hamilton, just, the, just knows what to do? Just knows what to that, do and just, does it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's managed to maintain his, his speed. So, you know. When I was... Uh, Living in Manhattan the first time, I would jog around Central Park and I'd see Pirlo all the time. And he looked like he was running, even though he was walking. You'd see him walking. I'd be running, he'd be walking, and he looked as fast as anybody. He knows how to walk. Wow, really? Yeah. Wow. You know, I mean, that's, oh, he, he's a graceful strider. He's a graceful strider. That's how you age effectively, Ryan. Uh, I mean, I will take that on board. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you, don't, uh, you don't get... Six million dollars from NYCFC without being able to just walk around a pitch and look, <laughs> look like you're fast. Um, all right, anything else in this batch of episodes? No, apart from just Daniel Ricardo's mission to get every team principal in the pit lane a tattoo at some point, by the looks of it. Do we think let, let's let's play the legacy game with Daniel Ricardo? We did this in the last episode, and I want to relitigate it with you as well because you have a okay. deeper understanding. Last few years for Daniel Rick, mm-hmm. a win or a loss for him. Ooh, I think overall a little bit of a loss. I listened to that episode and I think I kind of agreed. Yeah. I think he, I think he, I mean, I think that was actually a really good example of how difficult it can be being the teammate of someone who is destined for championships. Yes. But I do think that he would have, I think he would have uh, he would have definitely finished with more points over the last few years had he stayed but I just don't think he wanted to be a number two uh, I think he took a gamble on Renault that didn't work but, yeah and now he's a number two again to a worse driver on a worse team Ooh, yeah but I think he could become a number one if he performs like I think they I think overall last season he probably would be slightly disappointed well I think he would be very disappointed with his with his performance because he always wants to be better they all want to be better but I think everyone was a little bit surprised maybe at how long it took him to get to grips with the car um, sure but but I also think part of the problem is just just cosmically Lando was Mr. McLaren now like he signed the extension mm, yeah he seems so ingrained with the team the team seems so ingrained with him that when I say number two like I do think that Daniel Ricardo has the capability I mean Lando was sixth last year. Ricardo was eighth. It wasn't like there was some huge gulf. Um, but I think that just cosmically, every decision that is made at McLaren is going to be geared toward, more towards Lando in the same way it was towards Max four years ago. Yeah, maybe. I mean, those teams are invested in the younger drivers, you know. Um, I think he's. There are a few of the, the. There are a few drivers who are in a really interesting position. I think who. I think are going to be the ones to watch with the regulation changes this year. Because if, you know, Danny, if Danny Rick comes out and has four unbelievable races to start the season and out qualifies or outscores Lando 
in all of those races and pulls a little bit of a lead on a teammate, how's that going to affect the dynamic within that team? Is he going to... I don't know. I know that Mercedes have this infamous thing of being, you know, there's no... A Ferrari doing the same thing, to be fair, of there's no number one. And it's basically whoever ends up being the number one at like the halfway point of the season that we prioritize. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering how Lando would react to that because, you know, Lando is another young driver who's maturing in front of us. And we saw a little, a few little bit of out of a few outbursts of immaturity or poor decision-making like in Sochi when he was persevering, staying on dry tires because he could see that race win. And it was, you know, a more mature driver, even that, well, actually a lot of drivers missed that call, but still, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens to Lando or how Lando performs if, if Danny Rick outscores him in the first few, because Lando's not had it pretty much anything other than his own way so far at McLaren, really. Do you agree with Juliet that Lando's portrayal in this has diminished him in your your eyes just just as a hang just as a guy you want to have a beer with has it gone down uh no because i have a feeling that the relationship wasn't as fraught or he wasn't actually as spiky as they've cut oh, so you're you're a netflix you're a drive to survive truther you think all of this stuff is with the like you, you think it's all overblown no i don't think all of it is but i think that, oh, i think okay. the, there's obviously a really that that if that dynamic is there between lando and and Daniel, then it makes that story a little bit more interesting than it does. But you saw the aftermath of the one-two at Monza, and you see the kind of stuff like Lando posts on social media about about Daniel, and it didn't ever, it never really at one point, at any point in the season last season, did I feel like it was super strained or anything. There was that one quote that they dealt with in in the the episode actually that Lando said in uh, in the press about not feeling sorry, sympathy for Daniel. But I don't know. I thought I felt like that was a little bit hammed up a bit, to be honest. Yeah. Right. Ryan Hunt still wants to hang out with Lando Norris. Any predictions for the uh, 2022 season? We'll bring you back on, as it, but it'll be after the races start. So anything you want to do on record? I think Charles Leclerc will finish top three this year. Top three? Does that mean third? Or does that mean second or first? In the top three. Either so you're, you're not you're not you're not extending that take. Anything first, beyond second, top three, or third. That's my. I think take. he's going to finish second. Do you ahead of finish, Max Verstappen? Just, and you think Lewis ahead is going to win? Verstappen. I think Lewis is going to win. I think that the car. I think Red Bull is going to pay the tax on going all in on last season. I think yeah. Max is a good enough driver to overcome a lot of that. But we've been hearing the Royal we have been hearing about Ferrari figuring something out for almost a year now um, for the 2022 mm-hmm. car. And I'm inclined to believe that where there's smoke, there's yeah. fire. As soon as they got the slap on the wrists that year that they were just an obscene amount quicker than everyone. And then all of a sudden we're extremely slow after the summer break and the documents were sealed. Uh, that was amazing. It was genuinely amazing how like that's just gone away. It's just gone away. But I think Ferrari are like, Ferrari are kind of like the Knicks though, right? It's yeah. like... Well, no. No? no? Not Wait, in, terms in of what the, way? Not the whole thing. Like, when the Knicks are good, the NBA is good. Oh, well, the Knicks are never good, so we never get to figure that out. 
All right. Well, let's say maybe like uh, as much as it pains me to the say Celtics. this as an Arsenal the fan. The Celtics and the Lakers are a little bit like that. Okay. Well, Manchester United in the Premier League, I suppose. Oh, but oh, I don't know. Anyway, what I'm saying is a, a good Ferrari is a fun F1, I think. I can't believe that you think that I, if, if the Knicks ever got good, I would stop watching basketball. Oh, shit. I thought it was like the, when the Knicks are fun, the NBA is fun. That's what I meant. Not good. Fun. This is misinformation that you're hearing over in Europe. This yeah. is why we need to get rid of propaganda. It's not true. The Knicks really? being good for is only good for Knicks fans. Well, I'm a Pacers fan, so I don't give a fuck about the Knicks. How did this like, happen? Oh, it's a long story. I'll bore you with it another time. Okay. We'll have a Zoom beer. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> we're doing Miami. Right, Ryan Hunt. <laughs> you can hear him on Stadio. Thanks for coming on the Ring Rap One man. Show. We'll talk to you later, bud. Take care, man.